God for um, being the only one, God, the highest God, God, the one with the most authority. Lord, um, thank you for being slain on the cross for our sins, God, and showing us what a good father is. Um, I pray that you be with Dr. Allen today as he brings the message. Um, thank you for the baptisms that we have today. Um, we know all of heaven will be rejoicing with us. So be with Dr. Allen now as he leads us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. Never mind our furniture moving while you got your heads bowed and eyes closed. Those noises are just me and Mark tripping over cords while we're trying to move our high-tech whiteboard in place today because we are going to use it. Uh, all of this fancy equipment in here, and I'm still using a dry erase board and markers. Just, you know, this equipment just not as spiritual as that. I don't, I don't know if it's the smell of the marker or what it is, but that seems to be more spiritual. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 is where we are. Yeah, we, we're working on it right now. Okay, we've got it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We have been working through the book of 1 Corinthians now for some time. And we started the new year at a very pivotal point in this book at the end of chapter number 9. At the end of that chapter, Paul talks to the Corinthians about winning about winning in a lot of different contexts, but I, I think he's talking about winning this particular journey that the Lord has set before each one of us. Uh, you agree with me that God has put something before you. It's your duty station in life. It's what God really wants us to accomplish, and it's not just for His glory, but it's for our good. It's our own personal race. So... How do we win that race that God has set before us? And here's the deal. You know, unfortunately, you don't get to choose your race. Or maybe I should say, fortunately, you don't get to choose your race. Uh, you don't get to choose the hand that's dealt to you. But nonetheless, you have a race set before you, and you have a hand that's been dealt. Now it's our job to win, and God has provided everything necessary for us to be, get this, here's what he says in the book of Romans, more than conquerors, super victorious in Christ Jesus. So notice this one verse really sums it up, and we've been playing off of this for the past several weeks. It's found in the end of verse number 9 when Paul says this, the last sentence in verse number 24. Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. The richy way of translating that is you got to give yourself the opportunity to win. So many of us hamstring ourselves out of the starting block and we have no chance of competing, let alone winning. Uh, we do things that seem to just make defeat inevitable. When Paul says, basically, don't do that. Give yourself an opportunity to, to win. Run in such a way that you may win. So we've been looking at winning for the past several weeks and in verses 1 through 5 we looked at spiritual privileges that promote winning. And then in verses 6 through 10 last week we looked at spiritual problems that prevent winning. And today in verses 11 through 13 I want us to consider this subject spiritual pressure that prepares us for winning. So follow along as I read verses 11 through 13. Paul writing to the Corinthian church says this, 
Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Have you ever wondered why when someone is born again, when someone comes to know the Lord, when someone is saved, however you want to say it, why doesn't God just immediately wrap them up in a cocoon of bubble wrap so that they are insulated and protected from all of the trials and tribulation that seem to accompany us throughout this race that we are running. Why, why, why doesn't he do that? And the answer is very simple because you see God is using this race, this journey, not just as a process to get us somewhere, but he's using it as a process to make us someone. You see, because you have to be a winner before you can win. So it's not just about crossing the finish line, it's about who you become in the process. And you see, if God isolated or insulated us by protecting us, and by the way, that there is a brand of theology that says that happens. You know that, right? How many of you know by experience that that's a load of baloney? Huh? Because just the opposite takes place. Most of the time when you're born again, that's when, pardon my French, all hell breaks loose, right? Because uh, you've switched sides for one reason, but the other reason is because God wants to make you into something. And that's why Jesus said, by the way, Jesus didn't embrace that theology. Jesus told people to count the cost because it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard plowing. But nonetheless, it is abundantly worth it. So why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't He protect us from all of those things as His dear children as we try to do for our children most of the time? Well, here's the reality. God finds all of us and at best we're a lump of coal, right? And you know what God sees in that lump of coal? You're right, Jerry. He sees a diamond. And the only way to transform coal into something that's valuable is by pressure. I mean, that's what happens. Geological pressure exerted for years on coal turns it into a girl's best friend. <laughs> and hey, pressure that's put upon a child of God transforms them likewise from a lump of coal into a diamond. Something that brings glory and honor and praise to the one who is worthy, whom we just sang to and sang about. So let's look at this spiritual pressure that God applies. And this spiritual pressure is really for preparing us for winning. And notice what Paul does in this section. He goes back into the Exodus story and he uses the Exodus event as the, the, basically the text for which he is teaching these Corinthians about winning. And he's using the Israelites both as good examples and as bad examples in the same story. 
So notice as we put this in context, and you know, we are studying Exodus now in Bible study, and, and Cliff and, and Katie have taught us well that when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, you know, it was a very short journey from Egypt to get to the promised land of Canaan. About how many days' journey would it have been taking the shortest route, Cliff or Katie? Do y'all remember? Yeah, that's right. About three weeks. Now look, that's short, especially back then when you own foot, right? It's short. But God didn't take them that way. He purposefully took them the long way. He purposefully took them down the hard road. He purposefully took them down the road less traveled. And why is that? Because he had a lot of coal to transform into diamonds before they got to the promised land, you see? And that's the same way we are. Look, we talk about God's preferable future, and you know that God does have a destiny for you, and I'm not talking about over there in glory. I'm talking about right here in this life. God has a preferred future for you. He has, so to speak, Rodney, your promised land for you in this life. But if He just put you right there today, you would self-destruct. Because your character hasn't been developed. You haven't been grown to the point that you can handle it. So God has to sometimes take us the long way when we're always looking for what? Shortcuts. It's just built within us what's the quickest way I can get from point A to point B. And there are no shortcuts for you to get from where you are to to your promised land. It's going to be a long, hard journey But it's worth every step because it's transforming you every step. And by the way, you're not doing this alone. You're doing it with Him in His presence. So what's the hurry, right? I mean, as long as He's with you, that, that is the promised land. So there are no shortcuts. Men were masters at wanting to find the easy way out. I've been watching the news lately. And have y'all seen this artificial intelligence program that's being banned right now in universities all across, and rightfully so, because you can go to this, what's the name of it? Y'all tell me. Does anybody know the name of that program? It's AI something. I don't know what it is, but here's what you can do. As a student, you can type in any subject in there and say, give me a 15-page essay on uh, geological formations in South Korea. What's it called? Chatbot. Chatbot, that's it. And look, that thing will spit you out a college-level research paper for you to turn in. And and finally, professors are picking up on this because every now and then it'll have a historical inaccuracy or something like that. But man, that thing looks like, I mean, it'll put it in any format you want, Turabian, MLA, whatever you need. And it's being banned, rightfully so. Now, how would you like to know that the medical doctor who is attending your needs got through medical school by having artificial intelligence print out all of his work. Huh? <laughs> How would you like to know that your CPA did that? Or your engineer or architect that built your house? No shortcuts are going to get you to where you... How would you like to know when you're sitting in Dr. John's dental chair that that's what he did, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don't, don't give a service. And Heather just said, woman... She just said, do they print out sermons? <laughs> a 20-minute sermon, yeah. Not one of them 45-minute ones like my husband gives. <laughs> hey, maybe I want a chatbot pastor, right? I don't know. 
But here's the thing. We are always looking for shortcuts and God's not going to take you down that road. He's just not. I'm here to tell you today, put your seatbelt on because God's got a rough and rocky road for you. But He's going to be with you every step of the way and He's going to transform you on the journey. And once you're transformed, then God says, now you're ready for the, for, the, for, for the assignment that I have for you. You're ready to occupy the territory that I've marked out for you from before the foundation of the world. Fact is, too many of us today are too small to do big things for God. Because we've been popping out and trying to take shortcuts all of our life. So now, let's check this thing out and walk through it and see what this passage has to tell us about the spiritual pressure that prepares us for winning. Number one, the big thing here, there are two big things I think that Paul surmises for these Corinthians. And the first thing is this. He says, for failing the test, we have absolutely no excuse. No excuse. I mean, check out what he says in verse number. He says, these things happen to them as an example. So why is it that we have no excuse? And he's going to enumerate those, those reasons why you and I can't point to anything as to the reason why we're not standing in the victor circle today. The only thing we can point to is ourself. We have no excuse. Notice the first thing he says that we have. Here's the first reason why we have no excuse. is because we have examples from the past. Did you see what he said in, in verse 11, part A of that verse? These things happen to them as an example. Here's the good news. You know, you don't have to... And by the way, the best education comes by how? By what? Experience. Experience. You're right. It's the school of hard knocks, isn't it, Jerry? But here's the good news. You don't have to learn by making all the mistakes yourself. You can learn from other people's mistakes. And wouldn't we be foolish if we didn't? I mean, if I'm following you and you walk off a cliff, I'm going to say, whoa. <laughs> now, I wasn't born at night. Or maybe I was born at night, but not last night. I'm not going to make that step. I don't have to have the experience in order to learn it. I can learn from your mistakes. But I can also learn from your successes as well. I mean, isn't that a good way to learn? Learn from the examples that we have around. Hey, here's one thing I'm grateful for, Grace. We've got some great mentor examples around us in this church. And we can learn from one another. And we can learn from the examples here provided in Scripture that Paul talks about. Now there's something very particular about this and this is the reason I brought the board up. Because notice all of these examples that he gives us. He gives us five examples in verses 6 through 11. And here's, uh, here's what I want to show you. So you may want to jot this down if you have something to write it on. Let me, let me see if I can, I can diagram exactly what it is that Paul is painting for us in pictorial form through his words in verse 11 and 12 and 13. Here's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's saying, here you are in life. Yeah, I hope that, that thing don't... Now, here's my version of you, all right? There's my version of you. And here's where you stand. You stand right here at what I'm going to call a CJ. 
You know what a CJ is? A CJ is a critical juncture. It's a critical juncture in life, whatever it is. Now, I've got to point out to you this word that Paul uses here in this, in this uh, passage, translated temptation, is a unique word that can be translated two ways. And by the variety of translations that we have, we know that it is translated in two ways. It's the original word parasmos. And some versions translate it as testing. Some translate it as tempting. The only way we know how to translate it, because it's the same word, is the context in which we find it. Is it a test or is it a temptation? Now, here's the difference. This is what we know. The book of James tells us, do not be mistaken, God does not tempt any man with evil. Am I right? That's, that, that's holy writ, is it not? But God does test. Now, here's the difference in the two, and only context can tell us this. God tests up here on this upward path in order to develop us. Parasmos, if it's a test, it's a critical juncture of life that God has you in that is meant to develop you, transform you by pressure from coal into a diamond. Now, down here on this bottom leg, uh, let's write it up here. This, is, this would be, if it's translated, uh, tempt or temptation. The devil tempts us in order to destroy us. Now you see why I've got divergent paths up here. One path is headed upward. The other path is headed downward. So here you are today, let's say. Where are you located in this process? Today, here you are. You're standing at the proverbial crossroads of life. God has you at a critical juncture. It might be a test for God to develop. And oh, by the way, a lot of times it could be a test or a temptation in the same event, depending on how we respond to it. So here you are. You're at a critical juncture. Let's just say this critical juncture is you're having trouble professionally, having trouble at your job. Anybody ever have trouble at your place of employment? Man, I don't... Dang, y'all need to be pastors. <laughs> it's all rosy in this industry. <laughs> yeah, you might be facing trouble at your place of employment, in your profession. Uh, you may be facing trouble in your family. Does family ever put pressure on you? Man, I'm telling you what, yeah, them knuckleheads can try you sometimes, can't they? So it might be a critical juncture. You might have a family issue on your plate. You might have a medical issue on your plate today. That's a critical juncture. It might be a spiritual issue. Are you getting the picture here? Bottom line is you're at a crossroad because there is pressure being applied to your life through a parasmos. And how we respond to it, it's going to make a huge difference. Now, let me show you how these examples apply to this, okay? Because here's what happens. On this downward path right here, by the way, this is, this is not going upward for no reason. This is pressing on toward the high call of God in Christ. This is headed downward because when you make, if you go the wrong way on this, make no mistake about it, 
you can't split the difference here and stay level. You're going to be able to go up or down one of the what? One of the two. So now look at the examples that Paul gives. Let me, let me pull these out for you. Look with me in verse number 6. Now these things happened as examples. There's our word again that he used in verse number 11. These things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Now the historical context is Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 4. And here's what happened. All of a sudden the Israelites didn't want to eat what God had provided anymore. What was He giving them every day? They'd wake up and there it would be. So here they are. Now they've got evil cravings. They want something else. So here's the first step downward. When we're at a critical juncture, normally the first step downward is this. It's a distaste for the things of God. I don't have room to write it all up here. Just get this first word. It's a distaste for the things of God. Mainly it's a distaste for what God has given for our nourishment. And what has God given for our nourishment? His Word. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And hear me, when you're at that critical juncture, if the first thing that you do is have a bad taste in your mouth, you don't want to eat what God's given you, you don't want the provisions of God, then you're going to opt for something else every time. And that's a step in the wrong direction. You got to stick with the stuff. You got to have a steady diet of God's Word. And hey, by the way, do you know this is, this is the main reason? Do you know why folk don't. Well, let's just, let's just say it like this. Why does the folk have no interest in coming to church? Because, son, that's, that's distasteful because look, they are not wanting to go this way, they're wanting to go this way. A distaste for the things of God. It doesn't line up with where I'm going. God's Word is not part of the process to get me to where I'm going because I have evil desires. I have evil cravings. Isn't that what the Scripture says? Do not have evil cravings as they did. They had a distaste for God's Word. Why do folk not have any affiliation with church? Because they don't like it because church is not going to get them to where they're going because they're going in an opposite direction of where the church and where God's Word's taking them so they have a distaste for it. I mean, let's just call it what it is. People do what they like. Huh? So the first step in this downward process when you're at a critical juncture in life is a distaste for what God has provided. Now look at the second example. Notice what he says in verse number 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. They made a golden calf. So here's what they did. Number one, there was a distaste for God's Word, for what God had provided. Next, there was devotion to a false god. Devotion to a false god. And here's what will happen. Anytime we have distaste for the things of God, we are going to transfer our taste to something that is more palatable to us at the time. And that is normally some type of idolatry, some type of sin, some type of false god. Look, if we're not loving God and His Word, we will love something else. I've got a pastor friend of mine that says, 
in his marriage counseling. He said, I can't tell you how many husbands and wives I have come in and sat down before me and one of them's got an old sour look on her face and the other one is just broken up and I will say, all right, y'all tell me why I'm here. What's going on? And he says, the one who has a sour look on their face will say, well, pastor, I just don't love him or her anymore. He said, but over my years of counseling, I've learned something. So I always have a follow-up question. I say, well, ma'am, sir, if you're not loving her anymore, who are you loving? Because here's the deal. You don't just quit loving your wife for no reason at all. The reason you quit loving her is because you found some other hot young thing that you're loving. So it's already, the shift's already been made. You see what I'm saying? And it's the same thing spiritually. When we lose our taste for God, we will give our devotion to something else that's going to lead us farther down that path, farther down that trail, away from the Lord. So notice number next. First, there's a distaste for, God, for the things of God. Then there's a devotion to a false God. Now, look with me in verse number 8. Neither let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. The reference here is to Numbers 25. Now, here's the heart of the problem. When they got to Numbers 25, you read that context, and here's what they did. They simply made a bad decision. They decided to quit going. Numbers 25 says, And while they stayed at Moab. Listen, God never intended them to stay there. What are you doing staying there? This is a journey. And you see, it's the same thing that so many believers do today. All of a sudden, we feel like it's time for us to have a little break. We want to put our foot up on a spiritual sofa and become a couch potato for a little while. And friend, when you stop pursuing Christ, you are in peril. And they stopped. Let me tell you when this old boy gets in trouble. I get in trouble when I'm not busy. You hear me? I mean, I, if, if I don't stay busy, if I've got a lot of time on my hands, look out. That's usually when Heather has to bail me out of trouble. Doing something that I ought not do. Buying things I ought not buy. You, you know what I'm talking about. So they made a simple decision, and here's the downward spiral. First, there was a distaste for what God had provided. Second, there was a devotion to a false god. Now all of a sudden, they decide to stop going. Hey, when people just all of a sudden fall out of the race, that's not the first step. This is about the third step involved in the process. The decision is just in response to everything else that has come before. Right in the middle of the process. Check out number next. Not only did they have a distaste for the things of God, a devotion for a false God, they decided to stop going. And then notice the next verse. Verse number 9. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And the background here is Numbers chapter number 21. And if you read that story, here's what you'll find they did. All of a sudden, they began to devalue the things of God. What God had done for them all of a sudden wasn't good enough. All of a sudden, it looks like God's holding out on us 
And we can make a better living for ourselves if we take things into our own hands. We can do better because God's not being good enough to us. Friend, do you see how far down the path you have to be before you point a finger at God? The God who is good all the time and say that, God, you've been shortchanging me. God, you've not kept your end of the bargain. I've got a bad deal here. My goodness, they devalued the things of God and look the way they're going. Now, check out number next because here it is in verse number, uh, verse number 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Let, let me say it like this. After this, distaste for God's word, devotion to false God, just decide I'm going to quit, devalue the things of God, now down here, Write this word. Let me put it up here. They resorted to their default mode. You know what their default mode was? Their default mode was to grumble. Was to gripe and complain. Couldn't be pleased. Yahweh God Himself couldn't please these people. They were grumblers. They were grouchy. They were belly achers. They were bitter. They were unpleasant. Nobody would want to be around somebody like that, right? I mean, just go ahead and have that attitude and see how many friends you attract. Uh, but that's what they were. That was their default mode to go. And, and man, these people had perfected the art of grumbling against God and against Moses. Read that narrative and see how many times the word grumble is used. Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And man, here's the thing. we got to watch this, guys. Because God takes this very seriously. Thank the good God of heaven, we're living under an age that may be a little more graceful than what they did or the destroyer would have done wiped me out, huh? Because if I don't look out, my default mode can be to complain and grumble as well. But God through this pressure, through this journey, is trying to change my default setting from grumbling to finding the good in things and praising God for what He has given me. Hey, if I could just follow the example of my wife sometimes. Because she don't have this default mode at all. She don't have... I mean, her hard drive didn't come with complaining. I don't know why. Mine did. I, I'm trying to delete it. But mine did. And if, I, if I'm going down this path, if I'm done walking away from God, son, I can be the most grouchy person you've ever wanted to be around. My wife, on the other hand, everything is always good. I, I mean, she can have a flat tire. The difference between me and her, I have a flat tire, ruins my day. I get out and kick the thing. Boom. Hurt my foot. Gripe about it. Heather has a flat tire, gets out and says, Oh, look at that, three of them stayed up. <laughs> That's the difference. And look, I'm trying, look, this pressure journey is, is, is trying to transform this old lump of coal. She's a little bit farther down the road than I am. Now, look at, look at next. And boy, I, 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 I'm going to have to cut this thing off here in just a minute. But check this out. The next thing, because here's where this road leads. Distaste for the things of God. Devotion to a false God. Just decide to stop going devalue the goodness of God. I resort to my default mode which is grumbling. And here's the destination. 
Mark it down. Defeat. That's where you're going to end up. This path does not lead to your promised land. This path leads to misery. It leads to defeat. It leads to unpleasantness, desperation, depression. All of those things is where this path leads. Now, let's look at the other side of that, by the way. Here you are at a critical juncture. Man, you take this step right here, this is a slippery slope. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a slippery slope. It's hard to stop it once you do, but you can. Now notice this path up here. This path up here, you are walking with the Lord. You can at some time in here turn this into this. You can make a bridge and get there if you want to. But notice where this path leads. This path right here leads to victory. This path leads to your preferred future. This path led them to the promised land. This path leads us to winning and occupying the position that God's marked out for us. This path leads us to being more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. And friend, that's the difference between a test and a temptation and they can both flow out of the same critical juncture, out of the same scenario, the same trigger event, depending on what we go into it with. Are we going to go into it with faith? Are we going to go into it with disbelief? And that's why Paul says we have no excuse for failing the test. Look at what he says, and i got to hurry. This is going to be a salami in just a minute because we're going to baptize some folk in a minute, huh? Check this out. For failing the test, we have absolutely no excuse. We have these examples from the past, and here it is. I hope your illustration of it looks better on your piece of paper than mine does on that whiteboard. But nonetheless, it'll fly, and it'll help us. Check out the next thing. Not only do we have examples from the past, but we have instruction that has been preserved. Look what Paul says. Not only do we have these examples that are just transmitted to us, but they were written for our instruction. Now where were they written, ladies and gentlemen? In the infallible, authoritative, inspired Word of God. So here's what he's saying. You know what will keep you off of that downward path? Let's go back to step number one. It's God's Word. We have it. It's in, our, it's in written form. And here's what's so cool. I'm going to let y'all in on a secret. Y'all erase this from your mind after I'm done, okay? Before we have baptism, I normally talk to the candidates that I'm going to baptize, and I give them a little test. And here's the test. Once we talk about baptism, I say, Man, how long has it been since you've been saved? Hey, Austin's here. Last week was born again. And, and man, Austin passed the test with flying colors. Because here's, here's usually what I say. You say, tell me, what passage have you been in this week and what has God shown you in His Word? And if those candidates go, I know we got a problem, Jack. Houston, we got a problem. Because when you're born again, here's what God does. One of the first things He does, just as newborn babies have a desire to drink milk, have you ever noticed that? You ever notice you don't have to teach a baby how to drink? I mean, all you got to do is put a bottle in their mouth, right? And they know what to do with it. 
Peter tells us this. He says, as newborn babes, you also desire the sincere milk of the Word. So when a person is born again and they're a spiritual baby, guess what they have an automatic hunger for? They have a hunger for the Word of God. And friend, if we don't have a hunger for the Word of God, I have to wonder, have you ever been born again? Because this is our spiritual nourishment. It's by this that we grow. It's by this that we ultimately get on the right path and become winners. And man, it was so good this morning. Austin walks in here, and we've been talking a little bit this week, but he walked in this morning and I said, so man, how's your week been going? What's been going on? He said, man, he said, I didn't even have to ask him the question. He said, I've been reading. He said, I went from having no interest to reading the Bible to reading it now every morning and every evening. He said, I'm reading Isaiah. He said, that's tough. I said, my word, son, you should have started out with a hard one, huh? <laughs> started out reading Isaiah, and in the evening he's reading in the New Testament in Matthew. You know what that tells me? That tells me that something supernaturally is going on in that boy's life because people have a distaste for God's Word unless they've been born again. So thank you, my brother. Appreciate it. And look at here. I've got a whole lot more salami left and i got very little time left. So instead of looking at this thing like a salami, look at it as a summer sausage that don't go bad. <laughs> Let's cut it off. You don't even have to put it in the refrigerator and we'll pick this baby back up and eat it and it'll be just as good next week when we finish this thing, all right? Here's the thing. Leave with this thought. God has a destiny for you in this life. He has a preferred future for you that's better than you could mark out and decide for yourself. It's better than what you choose for yourself. It's God's destiny for you. And He's not just interested in getting you from point A to point B. He's interested in getting you from who you are today to who He ultimately wants you to be. And I wish there was an easier way, but He's going to do it by putting pressure on you. And how you respond to it is going to determine if you end up in victory or you end up in defeat. In Jesus' name, make the good folk at Grace Church be more than overcomers in Christ Jesus for His glory. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word.